Have you ever been tricked by a false apology? Someone said they were deeply sorry for something, but only so they could actually get what they wanted from you. Politicians actually do this all the time, right? Caught in a scandal, they'll, they'll pacify public opinion by making a statement of their deep, deep regret. And very often their deep regret lasts as long as the press conference and when the cameras are off and there is no one looking, they go right back to embezzlement or sexual harassment or whatever it was that they were deeply sorry for in the press conference. When that happens, when someone says they're sorry for something and does not change their behavior, the apology becomes more of an instrument of abuse than a means of reconciliation. An apology should be a way that two people who are separated, one of them offended, one of them an offender, are able to come together and be reconciled. But when the offender expresses regret and then does not demonstrate change, the apology is only a tool of manipulation. And the tragic reality is, many of us do this to God. Many times when we are in deep distress, rather than genuinely repenting, which will always produce lasting life change and a love for the Lord, we offer a quick, God, I'll never do such and such again if you'll save me just this once. And my fear is that we may actually do this and not even realize it. Because we are taught very often to say a quick apology. And very often we get used to confessing our sins to God. And we may think that things are fine, but they are not fine. And so my prayer for this message in Exodus is that God would use what happens with Pharaoh to move us to genuine God-honoring repentance. I want to show what false repentance looks like through Pharaoh and his negative example. And then as I close, I want to talk about what genuine repentance looks like. And so this morning, the first three points of your outline show Pharaoh, number one, making a false repentance. Number two, offering another failed compromise with God. And then number three, a final rejection of God altogether for the last time. And through every step of this, we see God and Pharaoh going back and forth as God orders him to obey. And Pharaoh, through different tactics, continues hardened in disobedience. Twice in this passage, Pharaoh responds to the present judgment and pain in his life by confessing his sin. But it's not a confession of repentance. It's an attempt to escape judgment. And in the end, it actually makes things worse. And so my goal in this message is to remind you of the radical love of God that forgives and welcomes repentant sinners as sons and daughters. There's a way to talk about the judgment of God that leaves you in terror and in fear. That is not my goal today. 
Genuine repentance fills you with joy because you recognize the goodness of God. And so my prayer is that we would confess our sins and celebrate his goodness. Jesus says, he who is forgiven much loves much. And I want to experience the love that comes from knowing that my sins are forgiven. And my prayer is that all of us would experience that today. Whether you know the Lord or maybe you don't know the Lord yet. So let's look together here in Exodus. And if you haven't turned there already, you can see the, the reference on the screen. We're in Exodus chapter 9, and it's right at the beginning of your Bible. If you're, if you're not comfortable finding things in the Bible, just open it up. It's the second book, and I would encourage you to turn there with me. I'm going to read every verse as I go through verse by verse and preach this message. So Exodus chapter 9, starting in verse 13, and for now we're just going to read through verse 17, and we're going to see the beginning of Pharaoh's false repentance. So read with me, Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. In the first two plagues and the first two points of this message that we're going to look at today, God reminds us of his dual purpose in sending judgment on Egypt. And so as we look at Pharaoh's false repentance, the first part of that is seeing God's warning and his purpose in sending this judgment. And I want to make it clear that God is glorified even when people refuse to repent. So the title of this message is God's glory in Pharaoh's false repentance and final rejection. God is not left out in the cold, as if he made a great deal and someone turned him down. God is glorified even through this, and you can see that because he makes his purpose clear. He has hardened Pharaoh's heart, and the first reason that he gives for that is so that he can show his incredible power in the entire world. He points out that he could have instantly wiped out Egypt. And the Bible actually records judgment like that at least twice in Genesis, where in the flood, as the rain comes, there is no opportunity for a second chance. And the entire world is wiped out except for Noah and his family. And again, in Sodom and Gomorrah, God chooses to judge a city in a single moment. There's no second chance. But God says in verse 16 right here, I raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God is glorified in humbling the proud. And Pharaoh's disobedience draws that drama out and displays the power of God ever increasingly as each plague becomes more and more severe. Notice God humbling the proud is exactly what happens. 
Verse 17, God says to Pharaoh, you are still exalting yourself against my people. And so one of the first things to note about a false repentance, and you remember, Pharaoh has already come to God and said, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. This is not the first time he's done this. One of the first things to note about a false repentance is that it remains proud. So in order to humble Pharaoh, God warns him that another plague is coming. So read with me verse 18 through 26. Verse 18 says, Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. And then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Notice, in the midst of this plague, God, in his kindness, offers a way out to people. For those who have the humility to listen to the word of the Lord, he instructs them to seek shelter for people and animals. And the text shows us one clear way to understand what it means to fear the Lord. The Bible says that whoever feared the Lord followed God's instructions. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So notice there are two parts of that sentence. Those who feared the Lord obeyed. And then whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord disobeyed. And the implication is one of the means of fearing the Lord is that you pay attention to his word. So if you fear, then you obey. If you do not fear, you do not obey. And you show that you don't fear by not listening to the word of God. And this is exactly how pride works. It makes God's word seem irrelevant. It makes it seem unimportant. But if you have the humility, you will recognize that our lives depend on hearing the word of the Lord. It's a critical part of genuine repentance. Genuine repentance makes you humble. And you will listen to God and obey his word. Pharaoh, although he has heard the word of the Lord through Moses, does not pay attention to it and does not do what it says. And so he experiences the destruction of this plague. The judgment of God is severe. And Pharaoh responds with words of repentance on his lips and a heart that remains as hard as stone. So look at his response And this is his false repentance. Verses 27 through 35. Read with me. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. 
The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, Yet again, and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Pharaoh gives what looks like an absolutely beautiful apology. He says all the right things. The Lord is in the right, I am in the wrong. He even says, I have sinned. That's the Sunday school sinner's prayer right there. But the scripture says his hope was still in the strength of Egypt. You see that implied when it talks about how the flax and the barley were struck down, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down because they're late in coming up. Pharaoh's hope was still in the strength of Egypt, in his own strength. He believed that they could survive on crops that hadn't sprouted and been destroyed by the hail. So his goal in apologizing was to stop the destruction. His apology is demonstrated to be false because his behavior does not change. And I believe that there are times when we do this to God. Sometimes God gives us moments of great clarity and we're able to admit, yes, I have sinned, I have made a mistake, but we can fail to recognize the depth of the problem. We can remain proud and continue to ignore the word of God so that it has no importance in our life that we don't seek to grow. We might issue an apology for a single mistake we can see, thinking that Jesus will clean us up a little bit, but we're pretty good on the inside already. But the scripture says that we are sinners through and through, and only new life in Christ will save us. So let me ask you, in your, in your relationship with God, Do you seek the the word of God with humility so that you can learn to obey it? That is a mark of genuine repentance. Whether you seek it in listening to good preaching, whether you seek it in reading it daily, whether you seek it in the fellowship of friends who will help you understand it better, seeking to hear the word of God is an essential part of repentance. A cheap acknowledgement of guilt does not change your heart unless you recognize the depth of your sin. And it's obvious that Pharaoh's confession isn't genuine because he still refuses to obey. You see that at the end of the chapter here. So the cycle actually begins all over again. So look with me at the next sign that God performs and notice that he again gives another purpose for why he is judging Egypt in stages like this. And this is the second point of my message. You'll see a failed compromise. But first, look with me at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10 to see the purpose that God gives in all this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, 
that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Again, God is showing his glory through Pharaoh's false repentance, through this cycle of judgment. And this time, that demonstration is for believers so that they understand how God's power is displayed because of the way he delivers them with such stunning power. Even Pharaoh's unrepentant heart glorifies God because it gives the opportunity to show this power. And that power that judged Egypt was at the same time saving God's people. So as Pharaoh refuses to repent, the Hebrews are able to see how powerful their Savior is. It should fill them with hope. They should have confidence in God their Savior because they have seen so many of His incredible miracles. For us as believers in Christ, we can have confidence in God's great love for us because He sent His only Son who bore all our sins for us on the cross. God's full wrath was poured out on Him there for all publicly to see. And when those who reject Jesus look at the cross... They may not understand it, but they are seeing an awful picture of their future judgment without God. As God demonstrates his wrath poured out on Christ. As God demonstrated his judgment in Egypt, that was a warning for those who rejected his word. The same type of warning is seen in Christ for those who reject the Savior. But those who look to Christ in faith... For forgiveness of sins, see something different. They see an awesome and beautiful picture of the radical love of God that did so much for us. Just as the Hebrews knew that God was their mighty Savior because of the power of Exodus, so we know that God is our mighty Savior because of the depth of His love that He gave His only Son for us. The Bible says God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God purposed to do that, to display his love. We would never know the depth of God's love apart from the display in Christ that he would give his only son to suffer and die. We would never understand the depth of our offense apart from the display of God's judgment and wrath poured out on Christ And at the same time, the demonstration of wrath is a demonstration of radical love. And then Ephesians says that this kind of demonstration is shown in the resurrection. And it says that the power at work in Christians now is immeasurably great. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So the message of God's love for his people and his power is a story that needs to be told again and again. It needs to remain fresh. Just as the the Hebrews could look back on Egypt and realize the incredible power of their Savior, so we can look on the cross and the empty tomb and realize the incredible love of God and the amazing power that's on display. What power could be greater than raising the dead? That's the power that's at work in you and in me if you have trusted Christ. If you know Christ, let me ask you, is the story of your repentance 
a story that you tell? Do your kids know how you came to faith and what God has done in your life? As the text says here, this is put on display for God's people so that they can tell their children and their grandchildren. It should be an ongoing story. Do you tell your kids what has been done for you by God in your life so that they know? God isn't done displaying his power in Egypt and your story doesn't end with your conversion and baptism. God's loving and wise control is still at work in our lives today. And since Pharaoh remains hardened in disobedience, after God has declared this purpose, he threatens another plague. So look with me at verses 3 through 6 and see the plague threatened. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came to the earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Notice again, the issue is Pharaoh's pride. Right in in verse 3, God says, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And Pharaoh will not bow to God's will. And every time someone tells God no to this day, it is an issue of foolish pride that will end in similar judgment. And God says, you remember the crops that you're hoping that you can survive on because they survived the hail? I'm going to take them too. Moses doesn't even wait for an answer from Pharaoh. But notice, we're about to read, Pharaoh actually doesn't even wait for the plague before he offers to compromise. He's beginning to understand that God means business. So look with me at verses 7 through 11, and you'll see his offered compromise. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if ever I let you go and your little ones. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Now, if you notice, this chapter began with the importance of teaching the next generation. Passing down what God had done in the past. And so it's significant. That Pharaoh's offered compromise leaves children out of worship. Parents and grandparents, let me say to you that the church cannot teach your children to love and serve God for you. God still expects fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers to bring their children and grandchildren up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's a verse from Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 that says exactly that. Parents and grandparents, it is your responsibility to tell your kids what God has done in your life. 
So this compromise that Pharaoh offers to Moses, just leave your kids behind, is a compromise that Moses rejects. And Pharaoh drives Moses and Aaron out of his presence. And true to his word, God brings this disaster, this plague. So look with me at verses 12 through 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locust. The locust came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts it had never been seen before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. You see a second false confession from from Pharaoh here. And again, notice in desperation, Pharaoh asks for the forgiveness of his sin only this once. He's pleading with God, saying, I know that I've failed to follow through. But please, just this once, I really mean it, I promise. But just as before, this is just an attempt to find relief. And when relief comes, Pharaoh's heart is again hardened, and again, he disobeys God. So look with me in verses 21 through 23, we'll see his final rejection. Verses 21 through 23 begin this last plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, That there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Notice, the first two plagues that we've seen this morning begin with a confrontation between Pharaoh and Moses. But this time, there's no confrontation. There's no purpose statement. There's no warning. There is only judgment. And there comes a place when God stops speaking. And here in this plague, he doesn't announce his purpose or give warning. He just snuffs out the light of the sun. And it seems that the Egyptians were unable even to light lamps. All they could do was lay in bed. And the text says that no one rose from his place for three days. The country is brought to a complete stop, except in Goshen, where God's people have light. And so Pharaoh offers his final compromise. Look at verses 24 through 26 as Pharaoh responds to this judgment. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must also go with us. 
Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Pharaoh desperately wants collateral. He wants to make sure that he does not lose his slaves. He wants to remain in disobedience to God. And so he offers another impossible solution. This is his final rejection. He says, all right, I will partially obey. Just leave your animals behind. I will let you go. I will let you go with your kids. Just leave your animals behind so I know that you'll come back. And again, Moses says this is impossible. They cannot partly obey God. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Israel and everything they possess belong to God and they must be set free from Pharaoh so that they can worship as they have been called to do. And so Moses refuses. And you see in verse 27 through 28, Pharaoh's final rejection. The conversation isn't over, but Pharaoh's mind is made up. He will not allow them to do what God has said. And so read with me verse 27. It says, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. And then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Again, God hardens Pharaoh's heart, but he isn't done displaying his love to his people and his judgment on Egypt. But Pharaoh is done with compromise and false repentance. He explodes at Moses and Aaron and demands that they leave. And he is left with his hard heart. So from all we have seen with Pharaoh, his fake apologies, his pride, his offer to compromise, we've seen that it's possible on the surface to do the right things to try and make a deal with God. It's possible to go through the motions and to not genuinely repent. To try to use God to get what you want and to remain worshiping at the altar of your idols. And at every stage, the destruction of Egypt deepens. And I think there's a critical lesson here for us. When we come to the Lord, we don't seek Him to serve us. We come to the Lord for Himself. It is not right to come to God as someone who can fix your problems, although he can fix your problems, but that's not the point. We come to the Lord to trust him completely. The danger of false repentance is just as real today as it was for Pharaoh. And I want to be clear. There are times when people genuinely come to know the Lord and they have mixed motives. None of us understand this completely. But the difference of genuine repentance will show itself in time. And so my last point today is that this is a present problem. This is a present problem. And so this text that we read for our scripture reading today is found in Matthew chapter 7. We already read 21 through 27. So today I just want to actually look at just verse 21 and demonstrate that it is still possible To say what looks like the right things and yet to not know the Lord. So Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, Jesus is speaking and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, there are people 
who think that they know the Lord, who are self-deceived. They have prayed the right prayers. They, they think that they have done the right things. And yet, Jesus says, I never knew you. These are some of the most frightening verses in all of Scripture. Because it means that there are people who call Jesus Lord, who even do things in his name, who think that they know him, but actually they don't. How can you be sure that you're not one of those people? How can I be sure that I'm not one of those people? They, must, they may have prayed prayers just like Pharaoh's, asking God for forgiveness. But here's how you know their repentance isn't genuine. Jesus says, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom. In other words, they may have said the right things and they may even be doing good things. They may even be doing them in the name of Jesus. But they are not doing the will of the Father. You might say, wait a minute, we're, we're saved by grace. Why is Jesus talking about doing the will of the Father? Well, you remember one of the most famous verses we often quote, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. But the next verse, the next verse says, we are his workmanship created in Christ to do good works that he has planned for us in advance. If you pray a prayer and your life does not change, and you don't begin following the Lord in obedience to His Word with genuine humility, it is a sign that your repentance was no more legitimate than Pharaoh's was. You can confess your sins and not change. But, if you confess your sins and place your faith in Christ, the new life that you receive Him will change you from the inside out. You will begin to love the things of God and you will want to obey. You will begin to learn humility. You will desire to seek Him in His Word because your heart will change. And To demonstrate this, I want to remind you of a familiar parable that Jesus told about the prodigal son. And I'd encourage you to read this later. So this is found in Luke chapter 16. I'm not going to read the entire text today for the sake of time. But I want to remind you of some things that I, I believe will be familiar. Jesus tells a story about a young man who selfishly took his inheritance from his father before he was dead and then went and squandered it. And then he experiences real repentance. And the point that I want to end with today is that real repentance does not leave you obsessed with your sin. It doesn't, it doesn't make you inwardly focused, thinking, oh, I have to confess every little thing, otherwise I'm going to be condemned. Real repentance is not morbid. Real repentance fills you with joy because it's focused on the Father, and it realizes who the Father is. I often think of a picture that I've seen of a heroin addict who attended Moody Church. I should say he's a former heroin addict. He hadn't touched this stuff in probably three decades. And he would sing off key, and he would sing loud, and he would shout, Amen, because he knew his sins were forgiven. Because his focus was on the Father. He has a peace that can't be explained any other way. 
That's why Paul says godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Without regret. I love those words. That's 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. There is no reason for regret because God loves you. So how do we get repentance right? Well, I want to remind you of a couple of things about the prodigal son. What does he do? We all know he leaves his father's house. He rejects the love of his father. He goes, he wastes his inheritance. He takes the blessings of his father and he squanders them on stupid things. And when he spends everything, he has nothing left. He realizes what he's lost at home with his father. And Jesus said, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice the humility that's there. He says, treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. Now, critically, the prodigal son does not stay in the world, write a note of apology and ask for his dad to send a check. He goes home. He leaves the things he has wasted his life on. He longs to be part of his father's house, even if he doesn't believe that he can be welcomed as a son anymore. And... His repentance leads him to a place of joyful fellowship with the father. Jesus says the father sees him from a long way off and he kills the fatted calf and he throws a party. And the picture of that repentance is not someone who stays in regret and weeping, but someone who is welcome into a celebration. The father says his son was dead but is now alive. And from that parable, I want to remind you of two things. First, Real repentance leaves sin behind to be with the Father. It doesn't just try and change. It doesn't just fix a bad habit. It seeks the Father and returns. And second, real repentance produces joy. So let me ask you today, how do you treat God? Have you repented in a way that causes you to do the will of the Father? Can you say that I love God and you want to be with Him and know Him better? A false repentance will not save you. There is no value in saying some words. And if you are clinging to sin, let me warn you of the danger and urge you to repent while God is still patient. Let me urge you to find joy in God. To experience peace in knowing that your sins are forgiven. Let me urge you to try to understand his love. You can see it in the pages of scripture. Let me urge you to look at the cross and understand the joy of what it means. That God loves you that much. Let me encourage you, if you have experienced life-changing repentance... To learn to look to God as that joyful father and to rest in him. Let's pray. Our father in heaven. Lord, it is easy to see your judgment. And to forget. The radical joy that you have, the depth of your love for us. I ask that you would open our eyes and I pray that we would be able to celebrate what you have done for us and the new life that you have called us to. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I dismiss you today, I want to leave you with a verse from Hebrews.
The writer of Hebrews says this, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love that it says that Jesus' focus was on future joy. And I want to encourage you to obediently lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance the race that is set before you. Let me encourage you, go in peace to love and serve the Lord.